It's an excellent way to never get a return invitation right there. (laughs) Forget the offering. Now, open your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. We'll begin in verse 1 of this great chapter and go through verse 11. Psalm 46, 1 through 11. Remember as I read that this is the Word of God. Begins this way, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Father, please take your word and illumine us this morning. Take your word and cut to our very hearts by your spirit. We ask that you would do this and in so doing that you would glorify Christ in our midst. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It's probably appropriate that this psalm is better known by the hymn written by Martin Luther uh, based on the text of the psalm. You may or may not know Psalm 46, but probably if you've been in church for any length of time, you're familiar with the hymn of Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is based on the text of Psalm 46. Luther wrote that hymn in the context of distress and it was sung in the context of persecution and difficulty, but it's a, and it's a familiar hymn to us today. And, and it's appropriate that that hymn is so familiar to us because, in fact, Psalm 46 is quite clearly intended to be sung. It is a song, first and foremost. Look at the superscription. I read it. Just a minute ago, that superscription, as you know, in the psalm is actually verse 1 in the Hebrew text. It's part of the inspired text. And it says this, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Four indications, just in the superscription, that this is something that is meant to be sung by the people of God. 
It even gives the tune, although we no longer have this tune, we no longer have access to it. It even gives the tune to which it is to be sung. And if all of that wasn't clear enough, it ends with a song. Now, the reason that's so striking and so significant for our understanding of this psalm is because it is a song meant to be sung by all the people of God. And it is a song about trouble. Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In other words, from the very outset, we have to conclude that trouble is not an unfamiliar thing to the people of God. It's not to be an unexpected thing for God's people. In fact, we are given a song by the Lord, which is meant to be sung not just by a subsection of the people of God, but by all of the people of God. And it is a song about troubling circumstances, trials, difficulties. It's a reminder that we need in the age in which we live. Oftentimes, the Christian faith can be presented as a series of unending, joyful circumstances. That simply being a Christian, being known by God and knowing God through Jesus Christ will take you away from whatever it is that you're facing that's so difficult. And many, in fact, have come to saving faith with that kind of expectation, being taught that kind of thing. But it's the furthest thing from what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that we, because we are creatures, because we live in a fallen world, will continue to undergo all kinds of trials and difficulties. And and, and furthermore, the Bible teaches that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus makes it very clear that His followers would face all kinds of difficulties in life. And there's a kind of comfort in that, isn't there? There's a kind of comfort in knowing That the Bible is clear that God's people will face times of trouble. I don't know what it is that you're undergoing this morning. Perhaps it maybe feels as if your life is falling apart. Maybe you're undergoing some kind of financial strain, some kind of relational tension. Some great difficulty that no one can quite understand. Well, if that's the case, then this song, meant to be sung by all the people of God, is a song that should give special comfort to you because it's about trouble and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Make no mistake, the trouble that the psalmist is speaking of, that God's people are supposed to sing about together, that trouble is not a small-scale kind of trouble. It's not just a minor inconvenience. Look at the way in which it's described in verses 2 and 3. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Have you ever had the experience of 
sitting across the table from someone, perhaps someone you know well, and they ask you how your life's going, you begin to complain about some relatively minor detail, something that you probably have no business complaining about anyway, and then, and then suddenly you realize there's silence on the other end, and you ask them the question that they've asked you, well, how, how are things going for you? And immediately you recognize that whatever it is that they're going through far surpasses your minor inconvenience. Well, see, that's, that's what's happening here. He's not just talking about trouble in a small sense. He's saying, no, God isn't merely a help for you in the midst of minor inconveniences. God is a help in times of trouble that could best be described as the earth giving way and the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. We use language like this today. We'll say things like this. I, I felt as if the ground beneath my feet had shifted. I, I felt as if my world was falling apart when I heard that news, when I was betrayed by that person, when I realized that this diagnosis was meant for me. We will not fear, he says, though the earth gives way and though the, water, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. In the time when you realize that nothing will ever be the same again, the psalmist says, we have reason not to fear. And you know, the amazing thing about the language in verse 2 this language of the earth giving way and the mountains being moved. The remarkable thing about it is if you continue to read in the Psalter, the psalmist uses precisely that kind of language, precisely this terminology, and he says that in fact, those things aren't going to happen in an absolute sense. In fact, he says, Later on in the Psalter, God set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. And yet here, the psalmist recognizes that there are times in life when it seems as if the unthinkable, the impossible is taking place. And what he's saying is, even if that were to take place, even if the mountains were to be moved, even if the foundations of the earth itself were to be rocked beneath your feet, even then... God is our refuge and strength. So I want to say to you that if you're struggling, if you're facing trouble this morning, know that the Bible prepares you for that. The Bible says this isn't an unusual thing, and even if you're facing this kind of trouble, the Bible says God is your refuge and strength. And you know, the reason the psalmist can say this, of course, about the earth never being moved, being set on its foundations, is really for the reason that Isaiah gives in Isaiah 54. Isaiah uses, again, this language from Psalm 46, and the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel, and He says, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. And then He says, The mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but... My steadfast love will, shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. In other words, what God says is that the, one of the reasons you can have confidence in Him in the midst of earth-shattering difficulty 
is because of his steadfast love, because of his covenant promises, because of his covenant faithfulness, which is promised to his people. So I wonder what it is that you're going through today. What worries you? What keeps you awake at night? None of us knows what earth-shattering event may happen to us, but we know that God's steadfast love is sure and certain. We know that God is a help in times of trouble. It's interesting to look at the language of verse 3 because the psalmist appears to almost be about to die in the midst of his trouble. It's not just that the mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea, but he personalizes it. The waters themselves are about to come over his head and take him under. Its waters roar and foam. The mountains tremble at its swelling. And that's the picture that we're left with at the end of this stanza. You you recognize I I read these these little words, selah, which are repeated three times in the psalm. They're probably some kind of musical notation. But in the context of this psalm, it's very clear that it marks the end of one stanza and the beginning of the next. And at the end of that first stanza, the psalmist is in great difficulty. It's as if the the scene uh, goes to black just as the water is coming over his head, just as he's about to drown and everything around him is falling apart. But what a change in that second stanza. Because we move from waters roaring and foaming and the psalmist himself being swept away to another scene of water, but a very different one in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now actually, there is a sense in which the English text doesn't quite do justice to the abrupt change between verse 3 and verse 4. In verse 4 in the English, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad, and we can put that over against the image in verse verse 3. But actually, it's, it's even a more abrupt change because in Hebrew it just begins with that term, a river. You move from waves in verse 3 to a river in verse 4. What's the significance of this river? Well, as we'll see in this section of the psalm, the significance of that river is that that river actually points us to heaven itself. For many years, uh, my family and I have been traveling to the same vacation spot every summer. And there was a time when our daughters were younger where the anticipation would be building as we would drive closer and closer to the place where we spent our vacation. And they would, they would point out various signs along the way, the entrance from one state to another, the, the, the signs when we entered the park where we were going to stay, the, the, the various, the various uh, uh, signs for the towns that we would pass and landmarks. And, and each of those was meant as a kind of pointer to the final destination, the final destination being where we would stay for vacation. And there is a sense in which, in verse 4, the river functions as that kind of signpost. You know, if you look back at Genesis 1 and 2 and you look at the creation of the Garden of Eden, the garden is described as having certain boundaries, certain resources. Uh, But one of the key features coming out from the garden 
is this river. And then if you look forward to Ezekiel's prophecy, Ezekiel describes this great heavenly temple, and what comes out of the temple is this river. And then you look all the way forward to the book of Revelation, and you see the description of the new heavens and the new earth. And what what do we see as the new Jerusalem is described? Well, Well, John tells us that as he sees the new Jerusalem, what he sees first is he sees this river coming out of it. And you see, the psalmist here is drawing our attention to just that place. In the midst of the waves, in the midst of the earth falling apart, remember, the psalmist says, remember that river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You see, in the midst of these things, one of the most important reminders we can receive is a reminder of heavenly things, of these great realities regarding the holy habitation of the Most High God. The river, of course, isn't the important thing here. It's just a signpost, and it's a signpost to the city of God. And, of course, the key thing about the city of God, according to verse 4, is that God is in the midst of her. It is His habitation, and therefore, according to verse 5, she shall not be moved. The earth may move, but God's city, heaven itself, shall not move. You know, of course, what the Bible says over and over again about the immovable realities regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and His authority. Ephesians 1, Paul meditates on this. and He says He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In Colossians, Paul says much the same thing when talking to the church. He says, you've been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is why in Hebrews 1, Hebrews says, when He came into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. Or you remember perhaps Jesus' words in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. You remember the context of the Great Commission? The text tells us that Jesus' disciples, when they saw Him, were worshiping Him, but they were also filled with doubt. And Perhaps that describes you, even this morning, in the context of our worship service. Worship and fear, worship and doubt. And what does Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, this is the message of this second stanza. Your life may appear to be falling apart. The waves may be swelling over you. But remember the holy habitation of God Most High. Remember the truth of verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice and the earth melts. Your strength may fail. Your friends may all fall away. Your bank account, even if it lasts, can't accompany you after death. Your legacy, your name, 
may be taken away. But the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and he utters his voice, and the earth, earth melts. And why is that a comfort to the psalmist? Why is that meant to be a comfort to God's people? Well, because of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you are trusting in Christ today, if you're resting in Him, then this can be said of you. You can say this. The Lord of hosts is with us. You, you, can, you can look to heaven for comfort and to the sovereignty of God over all things for your hope. You can, you can live in the midst of trouble and yet look to the river whose streams make glad the city of God. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. It's no accident that when God gives glimpses of His sovereignty and glimpses of the future hope that is ours in Him, He does so very often in the midst of intense trials and persecutions. Have you ever noticed that in the Scriptures? That the places in the Bible where we get the most revelation about the future, where we get the greatest most glorious pictures of God's sovereignty over all of history, that those often happen at times when God's people were suffering the greatest hardship. You think about the book of Daniel and all those great texts about the sovereignty of God and the work of God in the future. Well, what's the context for that? The context of that is, the, is Jerusalem had been carried off into exile, according to verse 1. You think even about those great promises for the future that are found for us in the New Testament in books like 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Well, what was going on there? They were undergoing great persecution. Or even think about John's vision in Revelation to which I've already alluded that, that revelation he receives of the new heavens and the new earth and the river coming out of it. Well, what's the context of that? John was in exile on Patmos. These truths, the truths of Verses 4 through 7 become especially precious to us in times of great difficulty. It's exactly what we need to turn our thoughts to the sovereignty of God in heaven to remember that the Lord of hosts is with us. It's interesting, of course, because that phrase, the Lord of hosts, that's used in verse 7 is the word that Martin Luther used to talk specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. Lord of hosts, his name. He does that, of course, because that's what Jesus is called in the New Testament. He's identified as the Lord of hosts. So this verse, Psalm 46, 7, can be grabbed a hold of by each of us who are in Christ, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. The third section of this psalm is equally useful to us in times of difficulty, but it's a little harder to piece together exactly what's happening. It begins this way, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations to the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. 
Now what's happening here is this. The psalmist in verses 8 and 9 is weaving together a number of allusions and quotations from earlier texts of Scripture. In other words, he's doing exactly what he tells us to do at the beginning of verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. And then by giving us these allusions to the works of the Lord, he's reminding us of what the Lord has done in the past. And this is critical in times of trouble. Yes, we're to look to heaven. Yes, we're to remember the sovereignty of God and the presence of Christ with us. But we're also to remember how God has helped his people in the past. He, in effect, is weaving together Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 and Psalm 76 and 1 Samuel 2 and Ezekiel 39 and Exodus 14 as if to say this, look, God flooded the earth. Look, God destroyed the world and saved Noah. Look, God is the God who judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, God is the God who rescued his people from the most powerful ancient empire by plagues and a wall of water. Look, God led his people to conquer a land. God struck down Goliath. God destroyed the Philistines. And we could look forward and say from the vantage point of Psalm 46, look and see God conquering sin and death on the cross. Look at the empty tomb. So that's what he's saying. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Remember what God has done in the past. I hope if you're a Christian that you could supply a list of the works of the Lord in your own life. I hope if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you could say, you know, I, I went through this situation in the past and I faced this disappointment and God has been with me every step of the way. I didn't see how He was with me. I didn't see how He was using that and perhaps I still don't see it today. But I know He's been faithful to me. I look back and I can behold the works of the Lord. But perhaps you are a Christian and you can't easily compile that list. Then the psalmist is saying, behold the works of the Lord in the Scriptures. Even if the light of God's countenance is so dim right now in your own life, you can't see the works of that He's done for you. Well, you can look to the Bible and see the works He's done among other people. How He saved them, comforted them, delivered them, been with them even up through death. Come behold the works of the Lord. Rest in what He's done. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a wonderful phrase in his book, Spiritual Depression. He says this, he repeats it actually several times, that one of the things we need to be doing more of is not listening to ourselves, but preaching to ourselves. And this is exactly what the psalmist is telling us to do. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Recite them to yourself. Remember what He's done in the past for you. Remember what He's done in His Word. I was speaking this past week with someone whom I'd never met before, but we, spent, we had the opportunity to spend a few days together. And his family had been deeply affected by a flood that took place in California. It actually swept away his 
uh, boyhood home. His father was killed in the, in the mudslide. His, his younger brother almost died and was permanently handicapped from the, from the situation. All, all these things were taken away from him almost in an instant. And yet he was recounting the ways in which the Lord actually ministered to him. In fact, ministered to him through this very psalm, Psalm 46. And yet, as we were reflecting on it, and it's vivid in his memory, and he was showing me pictures of the mudslide and the flood and the the devastation, Uh, he said something that I think is so true of all of us. He said, "And and yet how quickly I forget how the Lord was with me through that. Isn't that true of each of us as well? We need this reminder, come behold the works of the Lord. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He's brought desolations on the earth. Come behold the works of the Lord, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Come behold the works of the Lord, He's the one who breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. And as we behold the works of the Lord, as we recount the works of the Lord from our own life and from the Scriptures, the natural implication of all of that comes in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Could be translated as cease striving. Stop the constant work and worry and resistance and know that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, He is God. Cast yourself on the God of Israel. Cast yourself on the one who ascended into heaven and is raised in glory and sits at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly city. Be still and know that I am God. And as you rest in that reality, know that He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, there is coming a day when, as the Bible says, the Lord Jesus Christ will return. He will bring true justice. He will be the one who wipes away every tear from the eyes of those who are with Him. He is the one who will be exalted in the earth one day and among the nations. And so the psalmist can repeat in verse 11 what he has said in verse 7. The river that leads to the city of peace and joy. Well, verse 7 tells us that God is sitting on the throne and with us today. And here he reminds us of this reality again. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you know this God? Do you know the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures and in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the one true God who reigns in heaven and is sovereign over all things and will one day be exalted among the nations? Do you know the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth? Do you know Him as your Savior today? The Bible is clear, Jesus is clear, that whoever comes to Him, He will not cast out. In fact, I can, with full authority from the Scriptures, say to you today that if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, and He makes promises to receive you, 
as his very own. So that you in the midst of trouble can say the Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is, is my mighty fortress. We'll all encounter trouble in life. But the key in this psalm is that God is our refuge. And he's the one who's with us. You know how Luther puts this. He looks at his own self and his own circumstances and writes it this way. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. And then he asks the rhetorical question. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's pray. Lord we are grateful for your word. It is a comfort to us in times of trouble. You are a comfort to us. Continue to comfort us as we come to your table. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.